Now, chances are, over the last year, at some point, you have felt lonely and isolated. Some of you may have been surprised that you felt that way. You, you kind of saw yourself as a loner, but once you uh, see the same couple people for months on end and hardly ever leave your house, you begin to see, hey, I actually do need people. I'm a person that I need some alone time. I go to isolation in order to recharge myself, but then I have to step out because there are aspects of ourselves that can only be exercised in community. We need each other. If I stay in that isolation for too long, I cease to be myself anymore because there's things that uh, only come out and only I can exercise with other people Around And the truth is this, no matter how much you think you're a loner, you were not made to walk alone. You're made in the image of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are in constant community and you are made to be in community as well. On Easter Sunday, we asked this question, why did Jesus die on the cross? And we answered it with three reasons. We said first to bring us near to God. Jesus died so that we could be near to God. We also said that Jesus died to show us more of God's character and reveal himself to us. And lastly, we saw that Jesus died to give us the church. And that's what we've been drilling down on for the past couple of weeks. We talked about how the Greek word for church can be accurately translated as community or assembly. The church that Jesus Christ died for was all about people. People living together in community, not just sitting in rows quietly. The church is not just a place that you go. It's a people. The church is a people, a group of people that must do these three things together. We must worship together, which is much more than just singing, although that can be a part of it. It's a valuing and a treasuring of God above all things. We must live in genuine community together. We have to know each other and walk this life together. And then we have to do mission together. We have to serve together. If we aren't part of these three things, we need to ask the question, am I part of the church? Because if we forsake doing these three things together, then we are forsaking each other. We see this graphic uh, Venn diagram. And that bullseye that we're aiming for is where church happens. We hit those things together. We need to be worshiping together, living in community together, and doing mission together. That is where church happens, where those three things overlap. Gathering together and worshiping like it makes a difference. Growing together in community like never before. And giving on mission like we'll never run out. So last week we tackled that first irreducible minimum of the church of worship. See, we can have more than those three things, but we cannot have less. These are absolute necessities. We talked about last week how worship is not just attending a service, but it's sacrifice and it's surrender. It costs us something. And the true church is a group of people that are doing that together, valuing and treasuring God above all else. A group of people that is sacrificially worshiping together inwardly, engaging our hearts, and, act, uh, and then outwardly engaging uh, the world involved in good works. 
This is the church that Jesus Christ gave up his life for. So next we have community. And if you've been around church for very long, you realize that community has been something that we have neglected as a society for decades, right? We don't know our neighbors. We don't really know our coworkers. Our friends only show us the parts of them that they want to, the pretty parts, not the weak spots or not the broken parts. But yet we were created with a desire to be known and yet still loved. And that can only happen in community. You want a better picture of community? We can look at the story in Luke chapter 5, right? Jesus had come into a town and some people had heard that uh, Jesus was there. And they remembered that they, had, they knew this paralyzed guy, right? And he was there and he, he couldn't move and there was no way he could get to Jesus. And they said, now's our chance. So they grabbed this paralyzed guy and they threw him on a cot and they rushed him to Jesus. And when they get to the house that Jesus was in, the place was packed. So they said, oh, well, and they just went home, right? No. Good participation. My wife answered the question anyway. (laughs) No, that's not what they did. They pushed forward. They said, hey, this guy needs Jesus. And, And they went up on the top of the roof and they tore the roof up and they let him down because Jesus could help him. So we're getting him to Jesus. And they literally bore their friend's burden. His pain was in their hearts. They stuck by him and they uh, didn't neglect him. Their friend was in need, so they dropped what they were doing. They took the day off work and they rushed him into the presence of Jesus. And Jesus healed him and he became a follower of Jesus. And spiritually and physically, he was made whole. This is community. And to be paralyzed in this day, in this society, was a life of poverty and pain and shame. And his friends risked breaking the law. They risked embarrassment for the sake of their friend. This is community. They pushed past the awkwardness. They pushed past the barriers and the walls to get this man what he needed. One of our deepest longing is to be belong somewhere and to be known. And a church without community is not a church. Community doesn't happen on accident. It takes a commitment on the part of small groups of people to rush out and to collect people, right? And to reach out, push past the awkwardness, push past the differences. Open yourself up, take steps, reach out. It's sitting in living rooms together and at dining uh, room tables. But it's more than just laughs and meals. It's suffering together. It's having grace and mercy for each other, for each other's sin. It's speaking up in love when someone's hurting themselves. And even if, look, even if you're never here in person, you've got to find community. We got people, last week we had someone watching from the Philippines. We often have someone watching from New Jersey. Hey, it's great. We love you, but you have to find this community. You've got to have your people. The church is a place where you find your people, your tribe, your lifelong friends. We need each other. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says it this way. It says two are better than one 
because they have a good reward for their toil. So when you're trying to work, it's easier to work with more than one person. Many hands make light work. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. The Bible tells us that there is power in numbers. But here you'll notice you can't wait till you fall to then look around and say, I don't have anybody. And that's often what we do, right? We look around and say, I I need help, but we haven't been walking with anybody. We haven't been reaching out and opening ourselves up. You don't wait to halfway down to check if your parachute is working, right? But that's what we do. And then we look around and we kind of get mad at everybody because I don't have anybody, but we haven't opened ourselves up. We haven't uh, cultivated relationships. And it here says that woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. How often have we gotten there and we look around and say, man, I don't really have the people I need to lift me up. You got to start now before you need somebody. Wife, you need women around you that are going to be there for you, to push you towards Jesus. There are aspects of ourselves that can only be exercised in community. Husbands, you need to push your wife to find those friends. You need to say, hey, why don't you ask so-and-so to go get their nails done or to go shoot skeet. I don't know what you women do. Uh, Somewhere in there, right? But you got to, husbands, you got to push yourselves, uh, push your wives to do that. And wives, the same thing. F- get your husbands to find some godly fishing buddies or gym rats or barbecue boys or whatever you want to call it. Play Call of Duty together. It doesn't matter. Uh, wives, you need to push your husbands to find some godly people that they can interact with. You don't have to always uh, discuss the nuance of theology, but you need people to share your struggles with. And you need to cultivate those relationships now because you might get in a position where you need those people. Over this last year, you probably figured that out, that there were times where you felt alone and you looked around and you're like, man, I wish I had a group of friends. We weren't faithful to cultivate those relationships before we fall. When life's heavy, we need friends to help us carry that load. Friends that will point our eyes to the hope that is found in Christ. 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Why? Since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. The Bible is full of one another's. All over the Bible, it's one another's. In the New Testament, it's one another's. You've got to find people. Here it tells us that we have been given gifts. We've been given talents. And we need to use those gifts and talents to serve one another. We need people that will look past our sin and look past our, uh, you know, our, our flaws. But how do we do that? We cultivate relationships with them. Love one another. Welcome one another into our home. Serve one another. See, it's a lie that you can do church out on the lake by yourself. Why? Because church is community. 
You can worship God out on the lake by yourself, but that's not church. That's just one aspect of church. Church happens with one another. And community is an irreducible minimum of the church. You have to have it. Well, Pastor Phil, what are we going to start? What programs are we going to start to to get people to live in community? Look, we could sort you into groups, but we can't make you be in community. Community happens when you work the one another's together. When you love one another and you encourage one another and you exhort one another, you lift one another up and you uh, show hospitality to one another. This isn't a big program that we're going to institute. This is us being the church. This is us caring enough about one another to ask one uh, one another about each other. You've got access to people more than you ever have before with social media and phone at your side all the time, but we don't pick it up. We don't reach out. We don't want to bother people. We don't want to get in their business. And that's all that people want today is they want people to care about them. They want to be known and yet still loved. And then there's some kind of barrier there for us. We think we don't want to bother them. And that's all they want. Community is something that you commit to and you pray for and you act on. You work the one another's out together. And it happens when you commit to open up to people. And you've probably had that happen before where someone asks you, hey, are you okay? And what you said was fine when you weren't fine. What you said was, oh, yeah, I'm doing great when you weren't great. Someone asked enough, uh, cared enough to ask you about that and you didn't open up and you didn't share. Someone asked you, hey, do you want to go out to coffee? Ah, I got, I'm pretty busy. It's not just on the one person that no one's asking. Sometimes it's on the other person when we shut it down and then people never want to ask us again. We've got to reach out and we've got to be willing to open up when people do reach out. Take those opportunities because a handshake on Sunday morning was never enough. After Pentecost, the church exploded in in growth. I wrote that line and then I figured out I needed to to write the word in growth, you know, write that phrase after it. Because I was saying that when I was practicing, after Pentecost, the church exploded. I was like, oh, no, I can't say that. Uh, But in Acts 2, verse 42 it tells us what the, the first church looked like, right? And how it grew so quickly. If you want to turn there uh, or look in the app and you can look at these verses, it's amazing. This is what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. We see there, right? There's worship, surrender, devotion to God's word, prayer together. Verse 43, it says, and awe came upon every soul. That's what happens when we worship, right? We realize who God is. We value and treasure God above all things. Awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. God was moving. Verse 43, and all who believed were together. And they had all things in common. That's literally what the word community means, right? They had things in common. Sharing life together. Sharing resources. Verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as that had any need. They're doing mission together. They're working and sharing the one another's together. Verse 46, 
This is what we see what happened. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. We see community there again. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all people. We see worship. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. We see mission again. God added to the church when we had all these things and we lived this life together and we worshiped together and we were in community together and we uh, served and thought about other people together enough to sacrifice. And this is part of the reason the church is declining in America is because we have become content to sit in rows and quietly listen to one person talk and never change, never act, never join in, never do anything. Never look outside ourselves. Never love God and love our neighbors. See, people see that and they want nothing to do with that. They see that and they see, oh, that's just another chore. That's just another event to add to my schedule because it has no value. But when a church lives in community like it's meant to, it makes waves and it draws people to it because it's supernatural. Old and young, rich and poor, all ethnicities following Jesus together and reaching out to one another, putting each other first. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. How? Just as I have loved you. That's a big ask there, right? So, so when you say, well, maybe I'm going too far loving one another, you're not. Because you going too far, you're not going to the cross, right? You're not doing that for anybody. Love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And what happens when, when we do that and we act that out and we, we shoot for that ideal? By this, we'll all know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We have the antidote for the darkness that covers this world. But when we hide it, we hide it when we don't live it out, right? And we live it quietly. When the church loves each other like Jesus loves the church, people are going to be intrigued. It's going to spark people's interest. They're going to say, what is going on down there on 501 uh, Pikes, West Pike Street, Right? Why, why are they reaching out to people like that? Why do they care so much about each other? What is different that's going on there? This type of supernatural love is the difference between an alive church and a dead church. And this love can only happen in community. If you were to ask yourselves, how many people you really know in the church? How many names you know? Well, Pastor Phil, you should print out all the names and give them to us. Hey, why don't you ask somebody their name? Once you, you say, hey, hi, my name's Phil. What's your name? I know that's not normal in today's society, but it's normal for a church. And we're not supposed to be normal, right? We're supposed to be supernatural and abnormal and reach out. Well, I'm shy. Get over it. <laughs> when you're self-conscious, you're self-centered. <gasps> Did he just say that? Yeah. Because you're thinking about yourself. You're worried about how you're going to come off. You're worried about what people are going to think about you. Stop thinking about yourself. You were not made to be that way. You were made to put others first. Why don't you think to yourself, well, how does that person feel if I don't come up and talk to them? There's a reason why snottiness and shyness look a lot alike. <laughs> you guys are so mad right now. 
And I get it. Look, I don't love to like reach out. But the Bible calls us to do that. It calls us to be different. It calls us to, to, to love one another. To act on these things. This love happens in community. This love is authentic. And it's not just always wearing a mask and like you are right now, right? But except for with a big smile on it, right? We've been wearing masks in the church for years and years and years. This is just one on the outside. It's not just plastering on a smile. It's sharing our life. It's being vulnerable. It's showing our weakness. This love affects our actions and our words and our relationships. It's suffering together. It's sharing together. It's pushing past all the pleasantries and the awkwardness uh, behind the masks. Ryan Sanders says, in a world where authentic friendship is rare and belonging is so hard to find, a tight-knit community is a miracle. And you might be thinking that. Like, how do we get to that place? It's only through the Holy Spirit. The only way we do that is through the Holy Spirit. Dietrich Bonhoeffer called this life together. It's walking arm in arm with each other. It's a culture of checking up on each other and checking in. And when people check in and check up, we're, we're honest about it. We don't just give the, the pleasant you know, answer that we always do. And part of the problem is that social media today gives us a sense of community, but it's not real. We know about each other, but we don't know each other. I can know that your kids are in T-ball and just hit a home run and never talk to you. That's not community. That's me learning facts about you. That's not enough. We've got to reach out to one another. This type of love is how we make visible the invisible Christ. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. And this is how it happens. This is what it looks like when we reach out to one another. And this type of gospel love for each other is accompanied by gospel grace for each other. Because once you start learning each other's weaknesses and their little uh, frustrating things about each other, it's not going to be great. Once you learn my little quirks and stuff, there's going to be times like, oh, I don't really like that. We've got to push past that with gospel grace for each other. And this type of grace can only spill out into the streets when it first washes over the pews. We've got to have it here. People will know that we are disciples of Christ by how we love one another. And it starts with us giving each other the benefit of the doubt. Not looking to accuse and trip one another up. It starts with us assuming the best of each other instead of assuming the worst. It starts with us avoiding a culture of suspicion and instead promoting a culture of grace. This type of community starts with pushing for honest, love-laced dialogue. You ever wonder why you tell somebody uh, something that you think that they did wrong and then they react really poorly? A lot of times is that because you haven't laid the groundwork to have that type of relationship with them, right? That's what we call a critic and not a coach. A coach has the relationship, right? They work in practice together and they show that they're on the same team. But a critic sits on the sideline and writes it in a newspaper about you. And that's what we need in the church. We don't need more critics. We need more coaches. And if you, uh, you are that person like, man, they really took that poorly. Maybe there's something wrong with it. Well, maybe you didn't lay the groundwork first. Maybe you don't have that type of relationship where you have that position where you can offer up coaching, 
and, and mentoring to somebody. We've got to have the relationship. Pushing for honest, love-laced dialogue. Attempting to outdo one another with grace. Proverbs tells us that it's a personal glory to overlook offenses. That's a, that's a superpower that many of us don't have, right? To overlook things that people have done. Now, we want to make sure everybody pays for the things that they've done for us. Proverbs tells us when we overlook those things, that's an awesome thing. Paul tells us that love is not easily offended. And then he says we should set out to outdo each other in showing honor. No, you go first. No, you go first. No, you go first. That gets annoying after a while, but hey. Outdoing each other with putting each other first. See, community is not just something that would be nice for a church to have. Community is an irreducible minimum of the church that Jesus gave up his life for. This is something we have to have. Because each one of you, just like me, has a deep longing to be known and yet still loved. And a church without community is not a church. Community doesn't happen on accident. It takes commitment on the part of small groups of people to get together and push past the awkwardness, push past the differences and open yourself up to take steps, to reach out, to sit in living rooms together and dinner tables together, living life together. But it's more than just laughs and meals. It's suffering together. It's having grace and mercy for each other's sin. And it's speaking up in love when someone is hurting themselves. The church must be the place you find your people, your tribe, your lifelong friends. We need each other. No excuses. Push past the awkwardness. Be the one that takes the first step. Be the one that makes the first move. When you get shut down over here, ask this person over here. We've got the ability to communicate with each other that's always in our hands. But if you're like me, you just don't think about it. You don't think about anybody outside yourself. We've got to create this community because one day they're going to need us when they fall. And one day I'm going to need them when I fall. We need these people. We've got to push past these things. And we cannot settle for anything less. Community is an irreducible minimum of the church. Every head's bowed and every eye's closed. worship team's going to come. Those online, those on per, in person, I want to ask you, you to ask yourselves, do you have community in the church? That's the first question. Am I participating in this aspect of the church that is irreducible? Maybe you're new. I get that. You know, there's lots of people that are just joining us now. Maybe you've been online for a long time. We've got to have it. We can't not have it. That's the first question. Am I participating in community? And am I willing to do what it takes to have it? Might mean stepping out. Saying a awkward hello. Introducing myself. It may mean that you're warm when someone gives you that awkward hello and you share parts of yourself. 
Or maybe you're that person that's been around a long time. And you do have community. But it's the same people for the last 15 years. There's no inroad to new people. You haven't fostered that new relationship in a long, long time. You need to do what it takes to start those relationships up. You're not going to know everybody in the church deeply. We ought to try. If you're comfortable, maybe that's coffee outside somewhere. If you're vaccinated, maybe you're inviting people over to your home. Maybe it's just an email, a Facebook message, a conversation to start because we need each other to live out the one another's. Maybe it's not somebody that goes to church here, but somebody that needs you outside. Maybe it community pushes you into the mission aspect of it. Are we willing to do what it takes to have this irreducible minimum of the church are we willing to push for community you might say well we need to hire somebody else. we got to hire a community pastor no it's look it's irreducible we all have to do it we all have to worship we all have to live in community and we all have to be on mission maybe you're listening and you're not sure that you are a Christian you're not sure you're a follower of Christ yet. This church thing is, is new to you, or maybe you've been around for a long time. You don't have a relationship with God yet. The Bible says we're all sinners. We're all on the same level ground. It doesn't matter if you've been in church for 50 years or you've you know, recently you know, got out of prison or something like that. It doesn't matter. We're all on the same level. We're sinners that cannot work our way to God. The Bible tells us the wages of our sin is death. That's a separation from God. It's more than just a physical death. It's a spiritual death. We cannot get to God. God is perfect and holy. He cannot be around sin. Every lie, every sharp word, every wicked thought, those things separate us from God and we cannot bridge that gap. But... Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, 2,000 years ago, bridged the gap for us. Romans 5.8 says that God commended his love towards us. Even though we were sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ is the only innocent person to ever walk this earth. He lived a perfect and holy life, and he laid down his life in our place on the cross. And then he died rose again on the third day, defeating sin, death, and the grave once and for all. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a gift. Jesus Christ is outstretched his arms with a gift for you today, and that is that your punishment is paid, but you've got to receive it. You've got to turn from what you're believing in, and you breathe. Receive the gift of salvation that he gave us on the cross. You could do that today. The words don't matter in your prayer. It's not a magic prayer. It's a decision in your heart. Turn from what you're holding on to 
and to put your faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross. I want to encourage you to call out right now. Tell him you're sorry for your sin. And that you put your faith in him. What he did on the cross. And you're turning from all that you hold on to. And then thank him for saving you. That's you. I want you to uh, go ahead and, and take that step right now. Whether you're online, whether you're in person. Be a beautiful day to change your life. you did that today, I want you to, uh, right after the service, just go ahead and email me, pwayman at clarksburgbaptistchurch.com. I'd love to just continue to walk through this process with you, tell you what's next, answer any questions you may have. Jesus, we love you. God, I pray that you would be pleased and honored. God, help us to, to build this culture of community, Lord. Help us to get out of our shell and stop making excuses. Help us to be the church that you want us to be because this is an irreducible minimum of the church. In your name we pray.